0: Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Tim Woodbridge. Before we dive in, I wanna ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind please taking an extra 30 seconds to head over to iTunes and rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners, and it means the absolute world to me. So thanks for making my day with that review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Tim Woodbridge purchased his first mobile home park in December of 2019. And since then, he has grown a portfolio of nine mobile home parks, totaling just under 300 lots. He specializes in value-add, multifamily assets, most of which were distressed and in need of total makeover. Tim is a former registered nurse for over eight years, graduated from Northern Arizona University in in 2012, and uh, was able to, just within two years, quit nursing and join the MHP asset class full-time. Tim, we are excited to welcome you to the show.
1: Andrew, thank you so much for having me on, man. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, would you mind starting out by telling our listeners a little about your story and how in the world you got into manufactured housing?
1: Sure, sure. Um, yeah, you know, I was a nurse for a while. I went into nursing because nursing is safe, and you know, so I grew up. I didn't know anything about money. My my dad worked and saved everything, and my mom spent everything, and that's you know, it's it's two extremes of of the uh, ways not to really generate wealth, right? So I didn't know anything. I, I thought, get a safe job and nursing is very safe. I like people. I like human biology. It's fascinating. But, you know, I graduated, worked as a nurse, didn't know anything about real estate, moved to uh, Charleston, South Carolina about six years ago. And, you know, still didn't know anything about real estate, just nursing. That's all. That's what I knew. And I came across Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And like, everyone talks about, oh, it's so simple. And, you know, I don't know, it's not 100% accurate. Look, when I read it, I didn't know the words asset or liability. These were totally new to me. And so it just like blew my mind. And from there, I just, I, I read a ton, listened to a lot of podcasts. And uh, I listened to Frank Rolfe, who was on the Bigger Pockets podcast, talking to Brandon Turner. And, you know, I was looking for my own path. And I was like, oh, like, he laid out all these cool things about it. And I said, yeah, like, I, I like that. It's a little bit weird. It's a little bit different, but like the fundamentals are there and I, I, I really like it. So I just researched a little bit more, uh, uh, talked to some people and and just kind of dove in. And, you know, that first park was on mobilehomeparkstore.com because Frank said, Hey, go check out mobilehomeparkstore.com. And I said, <laughs> okay, sure. And so you know, there was one, it was like an hour, hour 15 from where I live. And I reached out, I was super, super nervous, because I didn't know, I didn't know anything. And, you know, the guy had listed it. And it was like, you know, per Frank Rolfe's calculations, you know, per the lot rent model, it should have been substantially less. But anyway, I, I call I call the guy got a voicemail, left a text, hey, not sure if I have the right person, but my name's Tim you know, if you're still selling, give me a call. And he calls me up. And he is a retired pharmacist. And so I'm just like, Oh, that's so cool. You know, I'm a nurse. And so just like, naturally, I'm kind of like, how can I build rapport with someone? That's, that's just how I am. I like finding common grounds. And you know, he was telling me, Oh, I'm selling this. Uh, My daughter's in Chicago with her husband, they're both uh, physicians. Uh, I want to spend time with them and with my new granddaughter. And so I'm looking to sell. So I went up, met them, met him and his brother at the park and, you know, they showed me around and, and then we went to lunch and, and then I said, well, you want this price? I can only offer this. And again, I'm going off lot rent only. It was only 10 to 36 occupied. So it was substantially lower. And, you know, I just said, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is way lower than you wanted but here's what I could offer. And right away he said, no, no, I can't do that. He said, I can't go anything less than this. And I said, okay, well, if I get you that, will you sell it to me for that? And he said, yes. And then I said, will you finance it to me? And he said, I'll finance maybe maybe a little bit of it. So what was it? He, I'll finance 20% is what he said. And so I said, okay. And I didn't even have any contracts or anything with me. I, I had I had no idea. I was, I was like flying by the sea of my pants. So I had a contract for the price I wanted, but I didn't have any extras like where I could write in a price. And so I was just like, okay, I left there and, you know, he was, he was like old and Southern. And like, if what I say, like I'm sticking by my word and I totally respect that. I love that. And, you know, again, he could have said, oh, to hell with this guy, but no, he said he would do it. And yeah, it was a lot. It was difficult. It was, you know, trying to find financing on a 10 to 36 occupied mobile home park in, you know, small town, South Carolina it was not easy. But we did. Uh, we got it. And he did finance that. You know, he again, he stuck with his word. We closed it. And I didn't know where I was going to go, but I knew that I had to bring in homes. I knew I had like, OK, this is this is it. I have to bring homes. I don't know how exactly. And uh, yeah, Tim, can
0: I pause real quick, just because I have so many questions. First please, off, please, I'm please. like so impressed <laughs> that like, you have this sophisticated real estate investing experience. Like, how did you know to ask for seller financing? Like, how, how did you get educated on mobile home park investing in, in the first place? I know you initially said podcasts, right? But like, how did you know to ask for for that seller second?
1: So when like when I came here to Charleston and I, when I was getting into real estate, you know, I I someone said, Oh, go to meetups, go to a local meetup. And so I was part of, well, I still am, you know, part of a local meetup group with like like guys who have been in the business for a while, not mobile home parks, but they've been in the you know real estate investing space for a while. And so I would go there every Tuesday, because I worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday at nursing, right? So I'd go every Tuesday morning and I'd listen to them. And they talk about all these crazy ways to do things. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of like what I was around all the time. People talk to owner finance. Like, so it was being around that, that made me initially just like, oh, okay. How about will you finance the whole thing? Like it was almost second nature to ask for it.
0: Wow. That is so awesome. And I love that. That's how I got started too. I started going to CFRI. It's like a local RIA group here in Orlando and learning about, you know, investing in notes and, you know, subject twos and lease options. And they had like a Saturday course every Saturday morning that I would go to. And like the courses were like 200 bucks, you know, and it was like a whole Saturday thing. And that's how I started flipping houses when I first got in. And it's just like, wow, what I learned from that, like going to those Saturday courses and for yourself Tuesdays was like worth more than I got in four years of college. (laughs) <laughs> in oh, terms of like financial education and, and, you know, financial freedom it was crazy.
1: Yeah. And you know what they say, uh, get in the right rooms, get around the right people. And like, that's right. That is so true. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, there's people, there's so many people doing things in different ways than the norm. And I guess like just being around that, you know, it's like osmosis. I just sucked it up. So yeah. <laughs> and then
0: is that how you learn to go direct to owners to try to find deals? Is that where you got that initiative from because that in and of itself right like that took some initiative and you know if you did you know if you didn't have a lot of experience how did you know to just go straight to the owner instead of going through a broker so the other thing about
1: the group is that like some of them were realtors uh, but most of them were like anti broker right <laughs> so they're like they're like oh you know anytime a broker gets involved like there's there's unnecessary friction so sure. like that was just what they preferred. But to be honest, like it was dumb luck, I'm sure, because the seller had listed it himself. He didn't use a broker to list that park. So hmm. it was just me being like, okay, I see the phone number on the website. How about I call that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. And then how did you get educated on mobile home park investing in the first place? Did you go to like a boot
1: camp, or did was it just like the podcasts, or read a just book? Podcasts, and then you know, like deep diving on the internet. Not to disparage Frank, because I know most people that I know who are into uh, the MHP space have gone to Frank's boot camp. I I just haven't, and I I never did. I should I should one these days and see. I, I've gone but a couple yeah.
0: times. I recommended You know, you always learn something, and Frank is super entertaining. But yeah, that's that's a that's amazing, man. Congratulations, and then the park that was 10 of 36 occupied how is it doing now and why was it you know distressed like that only 10 of 36 occupied was it just poor management or what was going on there
1: so i was telling this story the other day and when the seller and his brother were showing me around you know i asked this question which now seems rude but I, it wasn't a rude it was just me being curious i was like why is it only 10 to 36 occupied and he said well it's all paid off and I don't have to put any work into it. Like I'm getting, you know, whatever, <laughs> two grand, three grand or whatever a month from it. And he's like, I don't need to. And I said, Oh, okay. So the reason ever, <laughs> exactly. He's like, well, I, you know, I'm a retired pharmacist and like, I, I don't need to. So yeah. I mean, it's it, awesome. it, It's just a necessity. You know, he, he didn't need to uh, really build it up, but so today Let's see, I have 25 or 36 homes on it. But what's interesting about that park is there's all these individually deeded lots, right? So I bought 36 Mm -hmm. deeded lots. So there's 25 homes in there. And like all the other parcels of land that I don't really want to put a home on, because as we all know, it's not easy. But even more so, it's not that it's not easy. It's that the economics don't work as well in that small town, South Carolina, as I'd like them to, to bring in new homes. So I just have owner finance all the land. So I think right now there's 32 of 36 that are, you know, either like, like lease, lease, lease with the option of purchase for like the parcels of land. And then the 25 are, you know, rent, rental slash lot rent only. So gotcha.
0: Creative, creative. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. (laughs) What, what do you think, Tim, is the toughest hurdle to overcome in mobile home park investing?
1: Lowering your expectations of people sometimes, maybe, like depending on the park, right? So maybe a park looks a little rough and not like some place that I would live, but you know, people are paying really well. I got a park up in North Carolina where it's like you go through and it's not like rough, like, oh man, I'm afraid to be here. It's more like, oh, they spray painted the their address on the side of their home. Okay, well, like, you know, uh, no, I wouldn't live there. But is it going to make me money? It is. And it it's, it's like my best park. I'm not even going to lie about that. I love that park. And I love the people in them. So it's like, not everyone is going to be, you know, the same. Like, but what I do like to do, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a billionaire or if you got nothing, I mean, everyone deserves to be treated like a person. Um, everyone deserves respect. So yeah, I think sometimes, um, adjusting your expectations, you know, I could say, Hey, how dare you, you know, do that. We need to you have like different standards and then that might work for some parks, but it doesn't work for every park. So, uh, kind of be a little bit of
0: catering, be yeah, a little catering, bit fluid, customizing. Each park, yeah. based on the, the the residents that are staying there, I like that. That's I don't think any any other operator has mentioned that, but that is so important. Like similar, we have a similar park in in southern Georgia in Tifton, that is one of our best parks. Uh, but yeah, there's just a you know if we were like uh, very strict with our rules there, we would upset a lot of people and probably have a lot more turnover than we do now. Where in other parks. It's like mandated, you know, the tenants are on each other about rule violations and someone putting, you know, a washing machine in their front yard. Uh, so it's just, it, you got to cater it. That's a very good yeah. feedback. That's good feedback there. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, and by
0: the way, Tim, do you own most of your stuff around where you live in Charleston, like North Carolina, South Carolina?
1: Yeah. That? North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia is where I own currently. Okay. So you got Tifton. I got two in Albany, which are oh, very close. Not, yeah. 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 Yeah, very close. Awesome.
0: Tim, how has your mobile home park investing strategy changed over your, you know, how long has it been? Four years in the business?
1: Has it changed at all? Yeah, totally. So um, for the longest time, I've been like, oh, how dare they ask for that price, right? Oh, how dare they? That's crazy. They're never going to get it. And, And, you know, we all know the last couple of years they did get it. But instead of trying to, you know, oh, that's BS. Instead of griping to myself about it, I'm more like, okay, how can I get that price? So, then, you know, it's probably got to be creative. But fortunately for me, I grew up in creative real estate. So like that's that's interesting to me. Um, like creative deal structure. How can we make this a win-win? So it's like, okay, if I give you your price, you know, are you going to give me my terms? Or like. You know how much money do you need down? Can you come in as like an equity position and carry some of that down payment? You know, I get a bank loan, you get that, uh, and then you carry a little bit, and then I'm raising a little bit less from like investors. And like, it's just a fun math problem, you know. And it's like
0: there's so many ways to get creative with it, which I love that. And are you buying like like what's the average size of the communities you're buying?
1: Thirty to forty lots or so. So like. I say 40 plus, but like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it it depends. If it's in a portfolio, then like that changes it for me. So like I bought my Georgia portfolio, like 78 lots, a North Carolina portfolio, 88. But like in that North Carolina portfolio, there's one that's 14 in the Georgia portfolio. There's one that's 14 as well. So it's like.
0: Yeah. If you cluster and get enough around each other, it kind of makes sense to have a, a bolt on smaller one, right?
1: Yeah. And because it's it's it the thing with smaller, it's it's and you know this better than I do, I'm sure, is that it's just harder to to run, harder to get stuff done when it's small. You know, like money makes the world go round, like despite whatever, whoever says whatever, like, you know, it's money. If I have money coming in, I can pay someone to do something effectively. Whereas if money's not coming in, then it's like. Okay. How how can we get this done with this limited amount of resources? So yeah,
0: yeah, and it's a little bit tougher. Exactly. Yeah. No, that makes sense, Tim. What mistakes have you made in mobile home park investing that you know our listeners can and myself can learn from?
1: Oh my gosh, I feel like this needs another podcast, right? <laughs> uh, okay. So the first mistake I ever made is on that first park. I left with uh, I left meeting with the seller, and I went home and i met up with a friend i had at the time and he he was someone who dressed super well and i like was well versed and i was like man this guy's got to have a lot of money like i have no idea what to do next but he's going to help me and so i took it to him and he turns out had no money and turns out like you know he was he was shady and in Mm -hmm. the shady in the way that like my ex-girlfriend was like i don't know about partnering with him but I I was so hungry for that stupid first deal, and so I partnered with him. And next thing I know, we're closed, and he's taking money from the like operating account. And you know, he's he's just. Mm. It was a cluster uh, of of bad bad times in early 2020 trying to get him out because he was like, yeah, it was a lot of like, oh well, he's on the operating agreement now. He owns a third of this company, and so it was a lot of nastiness early 2020 so listen to your gut right if someone seems crappy or if they're doing crappy things to some people they're probably going to do the crappy things to you too let's see other other mistakes in mobile home parks things don't happen as quickly or as cheaply as I would think that they would and I know everyone says that and uh, I just had to experience it enough times to lower my expectations you know like I can be really angry about this Taking longer and being more expensive, but like all that's doing is me being angry. That doesn't change things for the better. That doesn't do anything for me. So adjusting my own expectations. Yeah, I say those those are the the big ones. You know, there's always there's always a story to tell. There's always a way to do things. Um,
0: how about due like diligence? Was, you know, you know, I'm surprised. Like, you know, like that's how we got started was going to the boot camp and they give you the 30 day due diligence handbook. How did you embark on, you know, due diligence on your acquisitions? Did you have some sort of, you know, format that you were following or, you know, utility infrastructure inspections? How did you handle all that kind of stuff?
1: Um, I didn't really. Like, I I didn't. My first, the DDM, my first, and and I felt it, you know, like, so within early 2020, going through all the drama with the other partner, um, there was also like a big sewer issue. Um, Mm. And it wasn't looking back, it's, it wasn't that big, but it was big to me because I didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, So I remember, you know, I had just met Ryan Grony. I'm sure you know Grony because he lives here in Charleston, too. And I was like, oh, my God, what do I do? And he's like, basically, calm down. Just call a plumber like it's it's going to be OK. And so, like, you know, it would have been smart to snake the lines. I did not. Um, It would have been smart to do a lot more thorough due diligence. I didn't in the grand scheme of things, I got out unscathed relatively, but you know, there's, I, I, I took action without, uh, I mean, I did research in terms of things that I should do, but I didn't implement everything in terms of due diligence. So yeah, hard and fast that first time. (laughs) No. And I mean, a lot of our,
0: no, a lot of our due diligence has been, you know, not from the you know, the 30 day due diligence handbook, it's been from doing deals, right? Being in the field and learning from our mistakes because we've made some as well. And, you know, utility infrastructure, I think of everything deserves a lot of attention, right? Before you buy something. So, you know, how does that process look now on your future acquisitions for due diligence? Do you have a a better process to kind of catch sewer issues and things like that, that, you know, that you didn't in the your first mobile home park?
1: Yeah, I you know, I've got a checklist now, and it's it's uh, 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 like an amalgamation of like stealing stuff from this person, this person, this person, you know, just I ask around a lot. That's, that's yeah. what I am good at is asking for help. Um, and so people have sent, you know, different things. And so I take what I like and then I've made it into a checklist and, you know, it has helped tremendously. Yes, like snake your lines, um, check the utility infrastructure. I don't have anything good for for septic, to be honest. I have, you know, check a few septics, but I don't know. It, what do you do for septics? We've pumped them. we We
0: did one and we pumped them, you know, which was not the cheapest thing in the world, but there was like six part six tanks for like fifty two lots or something like that. Mm, so we mm. pumped them and just, you know, inspected the uh, you know the tank to make sure like if it was concrete or you know what the the infrastructure of it was. But yeah, I mean, without digging down in the lines and seeing, you know, it's really tough, right? But like we had a company go out there and kind of, it was the company that has, you know, cleaned them out every year and kind of write up a little report, you know, on kind of what they were seeing and the absorption in the in the, in the, uh, the leach field to make sure. But, you know, it wasn't 100%. It wasn't like they were like, oh, this is 100% going to be fine. And they're giving like a stamp of approval, right? It was really vague. And you know, yeah, it's worked to this point, you know, and that the tank, you know, didn't have any obvious signs of leaking. but uh, ever since uh, ever since that one I think it was a, a story that Frank Rolf told where he's like, yeah, someone he knows was getting charged ten thousand dollars a day by the EPA because they had a, oh. a septic tank that was leaking. And you know I was like, wow, that's scary. so we we prefer and and probably ninety percent of our parks are on public utilities, city water, city sewer. but yeah, there's, you know, I think that's what people need to understand is there's a there's additional risk with private. It's not the end of the world. Deals still work with them. We own parks with septic and with well, but there's just additional, you know, there's a little bit extra risk there, right?
1: Oh yeah. And you know, if you ever find someone who can give you a hundred percent stamp that, like, oh, this is a hundred you're good, you're not gonna have to worry about it. I'm gonna have yeah. you're gonna have to text me their their info. Red flag. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean. You know, I stay away from lagoons. I stay away from wastewater treatment plants. Not saying that people don't do them successfully. I'm sure they do. It's just not my thing. But I am of the attitude of, you know, when there's an issue, I will figure it out. There's black swan things all the time. I have an idea of things, but I don't have, I don't need 100% certainty because I recognize Nothing in life is 100% certain. So I do the best I can. I gather the information I can. And then if something comes up, then I figure it out. I love that. I'm
0: wondering if there's any aspect of that that you took from your nursing career and brought into MHP investing.
1: Okay, look, with nursing, there's, depending on where you're working, there's a lot of times where you have to make do with what you have. So like nurses and occupational therapists are the best at like, like figuring things out with like the best I have, you know, and it's probably a surprise to a lot of people who aren't in the healthcare field, but that's, that's just, you know, the reality of it, you know, it's, it's a business and, you know, a lot of things cost a lot of money and not every hospital has the money to pay for things. Um, Or, you know, that's, that's above my head in terms of healthcare business side. I never did that. I was all bedside. But it's like, okay, well, I can't afford this. So what can I do? And a lot of times it's, hey, go talk to that nurse over there. Like they have been doing this for 30 years. They can get an IV in the craziest of places. So maybe ask them for help. So that's, you know, a lot of ask no. For help. I, yeah. 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 That's what
0: you said, you're great. Who's, that's who's, awesome.
1: Who's better than me? Who's smarter than me? That's what yeah. I'm looking for.
0: That's <laughs> So important. And we before we hit record, we were talking about triage, right? It's like, hey, you know, if no one's dying here, you know, how can we prioritize this appropriately to, you know, uh, address the most important things first? So that's really cool, man. Uh, Hey, if you were going to invest passively, you know, as an LP in another operator's deal, what would be the most important things that you would look out for or look at or want to know before investing into that deal?
1: Um so I am big on being open and honest and like uh I guess after that first deal like my my bullshit detector is like I you know I want to see something some solid projections not anything too lavish because sure I've done deals where I give great great returns to people but like that's not what I want to see as an LP like I want to see I want Someone who's aware of you know you you manage the downside, let the upside take care of itself, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I want someone who like okay, it has a a plan and has you know something where they're open and honest about this is how we're doing things. Um, I've heard I haven't invested, but I've heard of you know different people doing different things, and it's just like. Like, why, why did they do it that way? Because it seems like they're hiding something and I'm not saying they necessarily are hiding things, but it's just like, why man, just like simplify things, simplify it. Tell me, you know, straight up, like what, how it's going to be, how it's going to look like everyone who's investing knows that, you know, things happen. There's it's ups not there's an downs. Annuity. It's not no, an annuity. No. Right? This isn't guaranteed <laughs> cash flow. This is,
0: this is an investment. There's risk. And yeah. things things change, right? I think a previous guest, uh, I think it, I think it was Ryan Smith with Elevation. He said your pro forma is just basically stating, you know, how how, how wrong is it, right? What what is the percentage wrong your pro forma is, right? Because nothing's yeah, going to yeah. go exactly as planned. So uh, that's that's good, Tim. Uh, what would the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes, and why?
1: I mean that. That is such a hard question, because it depends. It's so the perfect mobile home park is one where I have built out the team and they make it so they're running what they they know they have to. So currently, my perfect mobile home park is uh, up in North Carolina, and it's perfect because of how great the on-site manager is. Mm-hmm. So, when uh, you know when we were doing due diligence, I like to meet people, right? So I I like to get a feel for people. So I was meeting all the tenants, and I came across this one person, and she had lived there since like the 90s. And I I didn't, you know, I couldn't place my finger on it, but I liked her, and so I said, you know, would you be interested in being the on-site manager? And she said, well, I've never done anything like that. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. I'll teach you how to do it if you're willing. We can see, you know, it's, there's, there's nothing written in stone, but let's see. She is so good. She is, she's, she's like, I mean, there's, there's been stuff with the park, you know, there's been a lot of CapEx. There's been a lot of things that we've had to do and fix, but she is on top of it. She, so hundred, hundred percent collections every month, like no problem. Right. Because she's on top of it. She has filed eviction. She's gone to court for me and won in court. She calls a plumber. She calls the septic people. She is on top of it. And like, that's my dream park. It's not that, oh, there's no problems. It's man, I am blessed because I found this person who is like so on top of it. And so now I'm reevaluating all my other parks and being like, I need this kind of manager. And in in the Georgia parks, I have a really good onsite manager too. Um, So she takes care of the four park portfolio. She is very on top of it um and she has a little bit of a like a law background um so she's mm-hmm. like hey um you know when i first met her she's like well i can you know i'm not a lawyer but i i you know i've done this in school i can help with this and like so she'll say you know she'll bring up something and i'll be like what do you think and she'll like here per the law the code is this and I'm like, that's perfect because I don't want to do that. I'm not good at stuff like that. And it's not my forte. So, you know, she takes the initiative. So that's that's the perfect park. How about that? There's no perfect park. There's just really, perfect really on-site good On-site managers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. The on-site management is so important. No, I, I say this all the time. The very first park I bought, Coil Run, I inherited from the previous owners her name's Diana Rice. And she was like our best, she was my onsite manager. And now she works with me in, in corporate. She's been with me seven years now. Love And it. I mean, with, she was so good, like what you're saying, helping out with CapEx and everything that it was like, oh, this is easy. You know, mobile home park investing, I got, this is great. And, you know, obviously I learned very quickly in the next couple of acquisitions that, you know, not every onsite manager is like Diana, and they can get, you know, they can get, uh dicey with a bad on-site manager but yeah a good on-site manager is so valuable and that's why we've i took this from mike conlin actually where we started paying you know frank kind of teaches that hey you know ten dollars per occupied lot plus free lot rent to your on-site managers but we threw that out and and mike conlin you know taught us with affordable affordable communities group he said hey pay your on-site managers well because they'll, they'll stay around longer you have less turnover, and they're worth their weight in gold, literally. So that's great feedback. One thing I wanted to ask you, Tim, you do a lot of value add parks, right? Like you're doing financing, you know, and you're doing a lot of creative structures to acquire the deals, but then you're doing value add. So what would you say is like the toughest value add components, and what type of value add are you, you know, uh, executing upon in your business plans?
1: Well, of course, bringing homes in, You know, that's that's been my biggest and most profitable. Uh, way of of uh uh, doing things of value adding in mobile home parks but you know you also have like like fixing roads up like if i'm gonna jack up your rent 75 bucks in a year because i just took this over and like them they were (laughs) charging criminally low um like i've gotta morally for me I, i i i want to make things better so like the only way that makes sense for me is to do something and so like fix up the roads make it a little bit you know make the place nicer to live in um yeah uh, but but really bringing homes in and and I'm all about like how can I do this with the little the smallest capital outlay possible so um you know with at the beginning of this year I started with three parks I got nine parks right now another one under contract um that's likely to close so like I've been expanding out my team right so like I do in-house management and I've got you know now I've got VAs to like work with collections and stuff like that again I this this is my year I guess of, of stopping being the bottleneck in my business but like in the ownership of the parks one of my partners now I'm like look I've brought in homes before but that is like you do that now because you are you know I'm I'm always thinking like Who's this person and what are they probably best at? And then let's make them be that. And so he's, you know, he's detail oriented. He's he's a, a, a realtor. You know, he can like he can go out and get his mobile home uh, license, and then we can, you know, either twenty first or triad or whoever we can, you know, figure out how to do that with the the lowest amount of capital outlay. Um, but yeah, so getting him in there, getting good people in there, and value adding. Um, so that's, those are, that's are, huge. are two yeah. big things. Yeah.
0: No, that's huge. Yeah. And a lot of operators don't buy those type of deals. They want stabilized stuff. And with interest rates doing what they're doing right now, it's, it's hard to get deals to pencil out, you know, if you're buying something at a seven cap and you're getting a seven and a half percent interest rate, that's not going to uh, get the best returns. So, uh, that, that takes us right into the next question. You know, what do you think the future of mobile home park investing looks like? Uh, you know given the direction of the economy with you know higher rates you know there was a big article you know said something about you know the fed is expected to keep rates higher for longer uh, you know possible recession you know wh- how do you think mhp's fit into all that
1: so i'm super bullish on on mobile home parks um, i do think if you are banking on interest rates going lower you're you might get bit and so like yeah, if it happens, love it. That's sweet. But man, ooh, I don't I I I'm not banking on it, you know? I'm underwriting it as if today's rates have to work. And like to get to some people's prices, I got to get creative, right? So if I'm I'm like I don't negative cash flow and I don't I don't like that's not my thing. If it has to be at least paying all its bills paying all investors, whatever pref I said, and then like uh, have a way to, you know, do a little bit better. Um, So it's like, okay, you want that price and, you know, you want your seven, you want your seven cap and my rates eight or whatever. Well, then you got to, you know, carry back a portion of that as an equity investor at like a two. And then all of a sudden my blended rates, like six and a half or six or whatever, you know, it's, it's a lot of creating spreads and Being like, well, I personally, I don't think the rates are going to go down, and I I can't wait to listen to this in like two years when interest rates are three percent again, and I'm like, (laughs) look, I thought I was so right then, but uh, you know, if it works at eight, if it works at nine, if it works at ten percent interest rate right now, then I'm I'm good, right? I'm I'm managing the downside, and the upside will take care of itself. If I'm underwriting at, oh man, I can. Like 8% I can do, but like it only really cash flows when rates are at 5%. Like, I don't, I like sleeping better than that. You know, that, that stresses me out too much.
0: Yeah. I'm with you a hundred percent on that. And I think with, with your business model, right. Which is similar to ours, the value add approach. It's like, Hey, you know, on in-place income, we're buying it at a six cap. Right. But at the end of year two, after we've infilled 24 homes, you know, now it's a nine plus cap, right? Yeah. So like, that's kind of how we're looking at some deals and making them pencil out right now, given the, the higher rates. But Tim, let me ask you this, what do you think the biggest threat to mobile home park investing is?
1: The biggest threat? Uh, I Part of me wants to say like, uh, 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 governments like trying to get rid of, you know, or like being, oh, we don't like this. But like, they can say that all they want, but logistically, it doesn't make sense. And like, I mean, sure, there are governments that are want to get rid of them, but I don't want to invest around there. You know, other than that, I mean, people who aren't charging enough for lot rent, and then other people come in and say, Oh, like, this isn't a great area, I can get rid of this park and build an apartment here. Um, That Yeah. So I'm in Charleston, and it's a hot market. And I was talking to a guy and he, his mom and dad started a park. His dad has passed his mom's 85. She's like the matriarch of the family. I love this story. So she is still, you know, at the park. She's still at the, you know, she goes by the office. She manages it. They're like her family, you know, it's like the whole park. She knows all of them. So, you know, they're looking to sell because mom's getting older. Sure. Um, they have someone, you know, they want this audacious price for it. And they, they had someone come by and said, we'll give you that price. And they, you know, their plan was to buy it and turn it into an apartment. And hmm. mom and the family didn't want that. And I I love that. I totally respect that. Um, I, but like, I don't know if you're in a hot market, like if, if that's your highest and best use for the land, I can't, I couldn't blame anyone in that scenario if, you know, neither, neither the buyers nor the sellers, if they wanted to turn it into apartments. So it's, I don't know. um, Yeah, maybe, you know, people selling and, and turn it into apartments, hire some best use. It's
0: it's more and more common. And I wrote an article about this. So it's like why uh, the number of mobile home parks in the US are disappearing. And it's, it's like the only commercial asset class where there's more Redeveloped or you know tore down uh, compared to new ones being developed because of that regulation and NIMBY right you know where it's hard to get a new development approved because of the surrounding neighbors of the property no one wants to live next to a a trailer park right that stigma kind of scares people away so I agree I think that is a risk uh, but I'm such a big fan of of manufactured housing and I I do think it is one of the solutions to the affordable housing crisis. And we just need to get more people on board with that, you know, and, and a lot of these municipalities are are pushing hard against that. So I, I agree with you, Tim. Tim, this has been an, an awesome episode, dude. How can our listeners get a hold of you if, if they'd like to do so?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, Facebook, Tim Woodbridge, uh, Instagram, Tim.Woodbridge. I'm not hard to get a hold of. I'm not like a giant where it's like, oh, this is my corporation and you have to talk to one person and they'll get a hold of me. No, just, just reach out. I love helping people. So I want to find, let's see, I want to find newbies who are interested in the space. because um, so my problem right now, i I'm talking to a ton of people and creating like creating interesting deals that work. Like uh, creative deal structure is my thing. My problem is that I'm the bottleneck. I don't have enough time. There's only one of me. So I want to take deals down with people who are hungry for mobile home parks, and I can kind of show them how to do it, and we can both win. You know, I also want to find investors who are interested in the space and who are like, oh, I want to throw a little bit of money in. We give great returns, you know, uh, before you hit record. I was talking, you know, I look at least 2X equity multiple uh, in five years. I'm like, you know, refi at five, hold for 10 plus. Um, That's where I'm right now. Um, They're really the cash flow is great. I I love mobile home parks because, like, I, I say that. But like, yeah, we're we're getting good returns for people. But, you know, also, if like I was talking to someone recently, they want to be an LP. They're like, but, you know, I also want to figure out like how you do this. I want to know like what that's like. I'm like, dude, how about instead of you being an LP, be a JV. And then like you can come behind the curtain. It's not crazy. It's just it seems crazy because you don't know it. But like I would love to show everyone what I'm doing. There's there's no magic sauce It's just putting the repetitions in and being elbow there day grease. in and day out
0: yeah yeah it's yeah. a lot of elbow grease but it's not rocket science i say that all the time you know but i will say right this is you know there's no there's no promise of of good returns right we can't do that no, no, we're no, just no. you know this is not an annuity there's stuff goes wrong it can go wrong but yeah no that's awesome that you're willing to like reach out and, and help out and educate people so that's really cool. Tim, what's one last piece of important advice you would give an interested passive investor before we sign off?
1: Just network with a lot of people, talk to a lot of people, you know. So my dad always told me, he said, you know, he said, ask, ask other people. The worst they can say is no. So like if you're interested, just get around people doing it. You know, there's there's nothing crazy. Yeah, there is elbow grease a lot of times, depending on what you're doing and what you want to do. But yeah, ask ask around and have no like fear. And hey, I like if y'all want to say hey, you know, Tim, I'm I'm looking at this deal. What are your thoughts? I'll give you you know my thoughts. That's that's fine. Or I'm sure a million other people in the mobile home park space would say the same. Like I loved going to Seco because I met a whole ton of people that I've been talking to for years. And like everyone is there to help. Everyone is there to like hey, man, we all know this game. We all know the business. Like, we all are there to help each other. And it's it's a very cool niche. It's a very cool space where everyone is is like 100% providing the help. Um, yeah. If you're looking to throw some money at something, ask someone else. Hey, do you know this operator? What have they done? You know, yeah. what's their past been like? Or like, do you know them as a person? Yeah. I. I it's I, a small, it's a tight knit
0: community. It's not it's not like other asset classes where there's a big group of operators. It's, it's actually tight knit. So that was what I thought was cool about Seco is it's like, hey, there's, there's a core bunch of people that are doing deals and, and they all know each other and network. So that's really awesome. And I, I agree. Everyone's really helpful. So, well, Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Dude, thanks for having me on. I, I really enjoyed it.
0: Awesome. Well, that's it for today, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Hey, are you getting value out of this show? If so, would you mind please going over to iTunes and leaving the show a quick five-star review? I have a goal of hitting over 100 five-star reviews by the end of 2021, and it would mean the absolute world to me if you could help contribute to that. Thanks ahead of time for making my day with your five-star review of the show.